Are you an orange is the new black fan? Move, bitch. This is my wife. Look, I enjoyed the saucy prison affairs in that show just as much as the next person. But when it comes to the reality of love behind bars, it ain't quite it. I mean, yeah, there might be a few truths like how inmates will try anything just to get a bit of intimacy with each other or their lovers during visits, all while under the watchful eyes of prison guards. But mostly, there's a lot of pain, hardship and emotional intensity that comes with these relationships. It's not easy to be an inmate in this situation at all, obviously. You're trapped in a cold, harsh and sometimes life-threatening environment with not a heap of emotional support. But what about the partners they leave behind on the outside? Nat Tenchich here. And in this episode, we're talking prison love. You'll hear stories from people who've had partners incarcerated and those who've been on the inside and had love to get them through their time. We'll find out what it's like to watch your loved ones go in and what happens to a relationship when they come out. Amy from Newcastle slid into our DMs and she wanted to tell us her story. She felt really alone in her experience and she wanted to see if anyone else was feeling the same way about having a lover incarcerated. She started seeing this guy a few years ago and they really hit it off. Now she knew he was involved in an illegal activity, which I won't share with you just for privacy reasons, but she didn't realize the extent of his activities until he was arrested. Then their whole world changed. I went to watch a band play and um, after the band finished up, I walked to um, another pub and met this guy. Turns out he'd been at the same pub watching the same band and we just clicked from that moment and basically the rest is history. I saw him every single day after that for like the next month straight. We just kind of couldn't get enough. We were dating for a year before he was arrested. Going through the process of, of trials, like what, what was that like? Like how were you able to support him through that? Being patient with his emotions, obviously it's quite upsetting and he, he could become quite, um, I suppose, impatient and volatile. So just being there and just assuring him all the time that we would get through it together no matter what the outcome and just reminding him to try to stay positive. Tell me then about the sentencing and when you found out he was going to be um, incarcerated. That was a a really, really tough day. We um, had actually been told that they were going to postpone the sentencing date. So we went in there thinking that he'd come home and we'd have more time, potentially even that Christmas together. And then all of a sudden it all just changed and he was going to be sentenced that day. So I felt like I hadn't said goodbye properly to him. It's not like in the movies when they receive their sentence and the family like gives them that last big hug and hurrah. Immediately it's handcuffs and they're taken away. So post-sentencing and he's in, he's gone away and you maintain this relationship for a number of years. So... Tell me about the the challenges of that, um, of maintaining a relationship in and out of prison. The greatest challenges surrounding that is the inability to freely communicate with one another. And then, you know, a huge thing on top of that is they're basically being a complete void of physical intimacy. You know, you're not allowed to 
be physically embracing each other and all of that kind of thing, which is so fundamental, to, I think, to a relationship and feeling really close to your partner. So that was a huge challenge in, within itself. You try to compensate. I suppose we grew stronger in, in other aspects of our relationships in that when we did see each other, we were able to really build that emotional connection with one another. Was it a lot of pressure feeling like you were the one one of the few connections he had to the outside? Like, was that a lot to bear? Absolutely. I was having panic attacks almost daily. <laughs> it's also really lonely, not just because you're without him, but I lost a lot of friends in the process who didn't agree with my decision to stand by him. Family members who didn't agree, so... They, they didn't disconnect me from the family, but I was never allowed to talk about my partner and talk about our relationship. And that was really hurtful. I, you know, I wanted to be able to share my relationship with this person who I loved as much as anyone else should be allowed to. You miss out on, on events. I miss birthdays and baby showers and things like that. Eventually, I just started to feel very isolated, very alone, and that's why inevitably I made the decision that was no longer in the best interest of my mental health to continue to stay um, in that relationship and in that situation. It had just become too tough for me, and that in itself was probably the hardest decision I've made in my life because I really felt like I was abandoning him in his, you know, moment of, of true need, his darkest hour, but... I had to put myself first. I wasn't giving him the best of me anymore anyway, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes yeah. that makes so much sense and you can see how it happens. How long did yeah. you kind of keep it going before you made that call? Two years. So, And, you know, sometimes I still wonder if I made the right decision. So he's he's just gotten out of, you know, five-year yeah. sentences is, is done. So have you reconnected have you reached out um where are you guys at he actually reached out to me we did catch up it was insane to see him again and just have all of those feelings and emotions and all of that stuff just come flooding back it was very overwhelming in that sense I I left that meeting feeling happy but also feeling oh my gosh just I I just bored into tears it was very overwhelming in an emotional sense but you know it was great to see him do you feel like he had changed yeah I think he has I think he's developed a really great worldview I think he's developed a lot of patience um, and empathy yeah you know he he told me that he really understood now why I had to leave um, and that he no longer had hard feelings toward me because of that um that you know he respected me and that he was eternally grateful for what I had done for him and you know that he wished me well so that was really really nice to hear that because for the longest time I'd still continue to beat myself up about it that I had abandoned him and left him and I, I, I had never forgiven myself for it so to hear from him that he had forgiven me and there was no animosity there was really really important and really special for me. What do you feel like you've learned through all of this? What would you like people to know about people who are going through a similar thing? I've learned that unfortunately people can be quite small-minded and 
judgmental. You know, what I would like people to understand is that this can happen to anybody. We're all human. And you know, part of being human is that we make mistakes and we can have bad judgments, but that doesn't inherently make us bad people. Yeah, I just don't think we should be so quick to judge people and class people aside because you think that they're not worth the time of day. It is such a heavy thing to go through. And what Amy mentioned about feeling isolated and judged by her friends and family, it is totally a thing. Elizabeth Shaw is the CEO of Relationships Australia and has had experience working as a counsellor with people in the justice system. She's seen this a lot and says prison can change relationships in unexpected ways. Well, look, I think it's um, it's the longing that you're left with that um, that your relationship is interrupted um, and that you're alone on the outside. And, um, and as was just mentioned, you could be facing a great deal of judgment and isolation and and you it's certainly true it's a, it's something that most people say that they go through the sentence as well from a, a different perspective so um so i think it is it is very painful and depending on where you were up to in the relationship when the interruption happens um it it can be pretty hard to sustain if the stretch of time that your partner's away is going to be a long time. We've talked about the fact that it can completely change your relationship in very obvious ways. Um, The fact that you are separated, that you can't see each other at your leisure, um, those sorts of things. But in what other ways, maybe ways you wouldn't expect, can incarceration change your relationship? Well, I think um, initially it can bring you together because there is the sort of tragedy of the parting and the the fear and the devastation that can happen with the events as they've unfolded. Um, Over time, there can be the um, inequity between what you can both bring to the relationship, particularly if one is in maximum security and might be in their cell 23 hours a day. They, They literally may not have much to say except to talk about their suffering, um, whereas the person outside is um, is busy trying to keep up a life and, and can feel like the only source of information um, and, in fact, the main sort of mental health support. And if you were both outside, you might have other ways to support each other, but that um, inequity of news um, and also the real struggle it can be to maintain visiting where um, your partner could be moved overnight. You could turn up at the jail and they've gone. Um, uh, That's not supposed to happen necessarily, but for a variety of reasons it can. And it might be that what was a a couple of suburbs away was suddenly a three-hour drive. Um, I think getting there and then having to speak to someone through Perspex you know, the intimacy is really rocked around and you've got to find another way through to each other, which is really tricky to maintain over time. Yeah, Elizabeth, it sounds like kind of it's such a commitment that you it, it requires you putting like parts of your life on hold. That It sounds so difficult. Well, it could be. It really depends on the security that you have with each other and, and other sorts of dynamics. So, for example... If your partner on the inside is um, controlling and jealous, for example, or insecure um, or vulnerable or a whole range of other things, 
Um, they might um, demand loyalty of you through uh, seeing less of your friends and family. So I think going in and saying, I went out to a party or I saw my friends, um, it, it takes a bigger person to be able to say, I really want to hear your news rather than what the hell were you doing? And so, um, so I've certainly worked where someone's felt very controlled and, um, and, and even threatened, you know, that I've got friends on the outside that are keeping an eye on you. Like Elizabeth said, there's so much writing on that partner that's on the outside. And there's a pretty big chance their partner on the inside will become bitter hearing about them living freely in the world. Amy definitely felt that pressure. So how do you handle it? Romy Stam is a trained counsellor with FACRO, which is Victoria's only specialist criminal justice reintegration service. And she says it's important to know your own limits and find support for yourself too. I think it absolutely is a huge pressure and she sounds incredibly supportive. I guess some of the things that struck me as she was talking are the importance of knowing your own limits and boundaries, which she articulated that she did, and feeling that it's okay to acknowledge them, that that's your limit, that's your limit. Also, trying to access your own support, which can be difficult, especially if friends and family don't want to hear about it. But trying to get some outlet for your own emotional needs seems really important. Um, And unfortunately, like in Amy's case, it can be quite common that your loved one inside emotional needs are kind of taking priority at the time because of everything that they're going through. But at the same time, there's got to be an outlet for your own. Otherwise, they can just build up and be a real stress and pressure. And yeah, Elizabeth agrees. But she also reckons that partners inside need to take pressure off their outside partners being the sole bearer of their news, whether it's good or bad, in more ways than one. There's plenty of research that does indicate that uh, people who are well connected, at least to a few people, are going to have better outcomes because they they do have a lifeline that they can um, that they can use as a resource when they get out as well and that engendering of hope because you you have people around and your world is not shrunk totally to jail but it is really valuable I think if you see your partner getting isolated and you do feel a bit suffocated by the way they're relying on you um, to to share the load to encourage them to Um, study in whatever way, take up any opportunity going, and sometimes there aren't many. Um, If there is the opportunity to work, then to work, certainly to connect with others. Um, Because I think it is really important that your partner has um, multiple sources of engagement. It's better for their self-esteem and it also brings more life to the relationship with you. So at this point, you might be wondering, what is it like to actually visit someone in prison? It can look really different for inmates all over the country, depending on their sentence and other factors. Amy experienced both minimum and maximum security facilities and says it was pretty hectic. He started off in maximum security, which is before they assess you to see kind of, I suppose, if you're going to be a threat to other or danger to other inmates. In that scenario, you need to call the prison um, on X day at X time and it's basically first in best stress. You know, there were some times when I did miss out on being able to see him because of that system. When I finally did, he was, you know, looked like the full jumpsuit. I had to have my retinas scanned or my fingerprints taken. The seats are bolted down to the ground, you know, like a metre apart from each other so you're not anywhere near each other. There's prison guards walking around the entire time monitoring and watching. It's such an artificial experience and just so 
cold and confronting. He was put into minimum security, which was much nicer. There was basically like park benches in like a garden kind of area. And there was barbecues and a canteen. So I'd get there in the morning and we'd make bacon and eggs on, on the barbecue for breakfast. We'd, you know, hang out for a little bit, do a bit of walking. I mean, we'd have an ice cream and spend the rest of the afternoon just talking and yeah, you know, you make the most of the situation that, that you're in and you just got to stay positive. Visits are so important for both people in the relationship. They can be a lifeline, but they can also be challenging in themselves. Here's Elizabeth and Romy. There is this uh, sometimes suspension of reality that you're trying to make the conversation different to any other aspect of your life. And so while you are investing in the relationship it it can mean that you've got a smaller and smaller number of things to talk about because you in a way can't just keep validating and affirming each other you've got to bring material to the conversation and it's certainly true if you're in maximum security in one of the older jails and you might be on one of the old phones speaking through perspex you're often shouting at the person and um, can't touch them at all whereas um as was just said, in minimum security, you you might be able to sit together and touch, uh, which is completely which is completely different and can almost feel normal. But still, what you get to talk about um, and what you've got to share can be for some couples very dicey. You know, how far do you go in talking about what's really happening? Particularly if you start to feel like you're drifting a bit. Um, or, you know, your feelings are becoming less certain. It's not a great environment to have those sorts of conversations with everybody watching. A big thing, I guess, with any relationship is that being vulnerable kind of creates that sense of intimacy. And if you're kind of in a prison environment where you have to kind of keep your vulnerability to yourself to get through every day, it can feel really unnatural and almost unsafe to let your guard down and be vulnerable with your partner during that visit, which can also be watched by officers and other people who you're spending time with in prison. So it's kind of a double-edged sword that it's both amazing for partners to be able to see each other, but also can be quite painful at the same time. Okay, so that's what it's like having a lover on the inside. Not exactly a chill time. But what if you're the one in prison? How can love get you through your sentence? And how does that love change when you get out? Brooke from Thirrell wanted to share her story with us. In 2016, she was driving after work drinks and entered a collision where she caused the death of a woman and grievous injury to another man. She was sentenced to five years with a non-parole period of two and a half years. And then while in prison, she received a letter that led to an intense love. I was working as a nurse um, in a prison, funnily enough, and um, I had some work drinks and I ended up driving home a long way. The drive was over an hour um, and I had been drinking. So I had a um, collision with another car and yeah, ended up causing the death of someone. So, and also terrible injury to the other person as well. And obviously the whole community and family and so many people. Yeah, so when I got sentenced, they said, you know, five years, Um, with two and a half to serve and I was put into protection because I had worked in jails previously so you know I was around people I couldn't really 
relate to because these were mostly the women who had, you know, murdered their children and all sorts of very unwell people. Yeah, it was just a really stressful time. So then you met someone in prison. Um, Tell me what happened. Yeah, eventually I got a letter. Oh, there was a group of girls who um, had been speaking to some other guys because there's a whole, you know, inter-jail network where people communicate. Some people have boyfriends in other jails. Um, he'd written a letter to a group of us and he, he'd sort of said, I don't care who writes to me, just, you know, give me the weirdest one, the weirdest and most interesting. And all the girls were like, Brooke, that's you, you know, you take him. Yeah, I just immediately thought, whoever that is, I want to talk to him. I was really excited. And um, yeah, we spoke for over two years and it's just a really intense like relationship because there was nothing physical about it. It was all like our souls bared to each other and our worst things we talked about and so yeah it was it was really significant and I told him that I would wait for him and I did try to do that I ended up being with someone else I didn't tell my pen pal this because I thought you know I don't want to break his heart he's put me on a pedestal I was in contrast to where he was I was everything soft in the world and he was in the worst place and he was like struggling and I just felt just depleted so yeah anyway then he got out and we moved straight in together and we never left each other's sight um it was amazing it was everything that I'd hoped for but I had this you know guilt inside me that I had been with someone else and I eventually told him and you know shattered his his idea of us I was supposed to be the one person to be you know, honest with him through the whole thing. Yeah, I felt like I I was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back and then he was very depressed and, yeah, eventually it just got really, really negative and even though, like, we loved each other and it was like a, a trauma bond, it was just like I wasn't sure if it was love or just that we'd been through something so traumatic together and we both had someone to talk to about it. And when you got out, did you go visit him? Yeah, I did. What was that like? Yeah, I don't know. I just sat next to him and I was super uncomfortable because I didn't ever want to go back to a jail. And I, yeah, I felt all those feelings that you feel when you have a first kiss and all that when you're really young. It was really special. It was really nice. So how long was it in that configuration? Um, It was about a year. And so, like, when you were seeing the other person you were seeing outside, how did that happen and and how was how were you feeling when you reached out to that person? So I was trying to get my, um, my nursing back. It was actually, like, a, a legal professional who was advising me and who I'd confided in about all the things I was struggling with. Okay, so this was all happening. So then he got out and you moved in together. How was that moment for you? Yeah, I wanted to build a life with him and I wanted to start again. I wanted, yeah, he's uh, externally looks like he's got everything under control all the time and I kind of believed him for a while and really he was very rigid, very, you know, soft with me but quite cold. Like, yeah, he had adapted to the environment he was in for You know, he was in there for nearly over four years, so he was, yeah, well and truly institutionalised, I think. 
How did you feel that result differing with like your own changes from what, like your your time? Well, I remembered when I got out and I was a mess. I was like staunching my sister. I was walking around like, you know, like thinking everyone wanted to fight me. I was, and I had a friend come around and I was sort of like circling her, like thinking, okay, if we had to fight, I could take you. Like, so I knew he had that, like, we would walk somewhere, you know, like, and he would size everyone up and he would be ready to go if he had to. It's, I feel like it's a lot, it was a lot more intense for him, that feeling, because there were people he saw, you know, being stabbed in the head. That's such a intense thing to, to live with when you're also trying to recover from that experience. Do you feel like you had kind of the tools to help in a way or did you feel like it just kept re-traumatising you? I suppose I thought I did, but it's also a really personal journey and if you don't realise it's happening to you, you can't really, you can't see that you're stuck. Whenever anyone said, you know, maybe you need to see someone, maybe you need to talk to someone, he kind of saw it as an attack and he was like, hang on a minute, I've just pulled myself through this, I can handle anything. Don't even tell me how to live. No one could understand him. No one could possibly get what he'd been through besides the other people he'd been in there with who, yeah, were the only people he could really relate to. So what kind of impact does maintaining a relationship have for the person locked up? Romy says while it's proven to be a super good thing for you while you're incarcerated, the boredom and the excess of time or at least the imbalance of that, can be a problem. Look, we know that support from partners and families help with reintegration post-release, but this is quite a unique situation in that they both met inside. And then also in prison, there's a lot of time that people have. So a big issue that comes up in the counselling sessions is that the boredom that people overcome. So there's a lot of time to think and to imagine and I guess project onto this relationship and what it could be like. And then when people get home and back into a day-to-day life and different pressures and, you know, different paces of reintegrating, those things can creep in and the relationship on paper may not match their expectations. And time really is the enemy here. But what happens when your time is up? For Brooke and her pen pal soulmate, so much had changed. Between her getting out and him being further institutionalised, their new home post-jail became a pressure cooker. One that couldn't last. Elizabeth says relationship dynamics do more often than not change, and quite drastically, once someone's out of jail. Depending how long you've been in jail, you you can be quite institutionalised. You know, you're used to living in a very small space and having, um, you know, in, in some ways, both a lot of control over your space because it's a tiny space and and also a complete loss of control. So I think... Um, if you were to leave jail and move straight back into a domestic situation, um, there really is a kind of a re-entry phase, which is, which is difficult. In their case, when they hadn't been able to be physically intimate till then, there's large parts of your relationship you've not even tested. Um, or if in the previous story where they'd only been together a month, there's so much that you don't yet know about Um, Is this person going to pick up a dish towel? Is this, you know, what's the sex going to be like? Um, When I introduce them to my friends, how's that going to go? Are they going to be socially so competent? And 
um, and are my friends going to manage this? So I think what what we sort of uh, need to think about is that as you build a relationship, you you make an assessment about the viability of the relationship through lots of tiny moments where you watch your partner and how they treat staff that wait on you in a restaurant or um, you know anyone you come across or how you see them with their friends you start to build up a picture of what they're really like if you've had this bubble where you've really just related between them backwards and forwards and then they come into your house and you're relating just the two of them there's there's these giant slabs of information you have yet to develop and you might have by then thrown your lot in with someone for a long period of intense time, put your own life on hold to do it. There's a lot riding on it turning out will. Okay, we've made it this far, but we haven't talked about the big question. Sex, how does it work? Are conjugal visits a thing? I know I was curious, but Brooke says it is not a thing in Australia. Yeah, so we don't have them in Australia, but there is, um, you know, there are places where you can go and sort of, you know, kiss and touch each other as much as you can, I suppose. Um, depends how many staff are wandering around. So it's like being a teenager. Yeah. You, you catch it if you're looking for it. It's pretty full on. It makes you wonder, hey, if you're not able to get that touch or pleasure from your partner while they're visiting, are they finding it somewhere within those cell walls? Cue the orange is the new black stuff now. Yeah, because somebody who definitely had their suspicions about their partner getting up to some stuff on the inside was Brody. She told us about her ex who cheated on her in prison. She says while she had an open mind for a really long time, her experience has impacted her ability to trust people in general. So we met on Tinder. Uh, she was my first proper girlfriend and we pretty much fell in love straight away. Three years into our relationship, we moved um, to the Central Coast together to sort of start a new life together. And about 11 months into that move, she didn't come home from work one night and I was going out of my mind, didn't know where she was. I was calling the hospitals. Turns out she was arrested. Um, The police called me and said, your partner's been stealing from her workplace. So, yeah, um, I went to pick her up. Um, She told me she had a massive gambling addiction I had no idea about didn't know anything about this theft or anything. And then she was actually arrested a second time a week later for doing a similar thing at a previous workplace, but it was more along the lines of fraud in that case. So she was sentenced about seven months later. She got the maximum sentence that you can get in the local court. She got a two-year sentence. And then eventually she only served six months in jail. Um, and then she's now doing six months on home detention with an ankle monitor. We didn't even get to say goodbye to each other. They took her straight from the courtroom. And then I didn't hear from her for a week. She got into contact with me and we were talking on the phone every day and writing letters and trying to cope and deal. And it was awful. But then about four months in, she didn't call me for a week. I was at work and she called me and she said she doesn't know if she wants to do this anymore. If she thinks her feelings have changed um, and she's got to make a decision. She doesn't want to wait till she gets out. So that night she calls me at like 9.30. And yeah, she broke up with me and she said, I just don't, I'm not in love with you anymore. And I immediately thought she's found somebody else. That was my my gut feeling. And I asked her over and over and over and she denied it, denied it, denied it. Um, she just said the guilt of what I've lied to you about and betrayed you and 
like she did some pretty horrible things like she stole from me and defrauded my name and and I was willing to hang around because I love her I loved her so much and I wanted to support her and help her get better and but she said the guilt was too much so that was November last year early November and how long had you guys been together by that point uh nearly four years wow okay and then she got out of jail in, in January this year and she texted me well without any prompting said I know you think I cheated on you but I didn't and to me, that's like preempting me asking her if she did. So it was like a little red flag. <laughs> I was like, okay. Anyway, then she said I did get close to somebody just before I left, but it, I didn't do anything while we t- while we were together. So that was her story. And then only about four weeks ago, I went to pick up our dog and I said, I know you did. I know you cheated on me. Just say it. Like it's just, there's too much evidence pointing to to that. And she looked at me and she said, yeah, I did. That week that I didn't call you, I slept with her just before that. And then there was someone else just before that. <laughs> and yeah, I just told her she's a piece of shit. And now I'm just dealing with that, with the fact that she did cheat on me, like with at least two people that I know of. And now she's being completely heartless. She's got no emotions towards me. She's like, it's dealing with normal breakup stuff, like missing someone, but then it's also the betrayal like every all the lies she's told before that like it's it's a lot to deal with so that's basically where we're at now (laughs) yeah it it sounds like you were quite forgiving and gave her a lot of rope for a lot of things yeah It, it it just sort of feels like it was a bar too far exactly and that's where I'm at now she owes me a bit of money and my mum as well and now I'm trying to get some money back and she's got excuse after excuse after excuse and I'm just not having it anymore and I have never been like that with her before I was always very like okay let's find a solution together but there's no point doing that anymore that was for us there's no us anymore so why would I be so lenient anymore I'm just over it totally it's an interesting thing to think about because it feels like especially you know if you're queer like prison's gonna that that temptation especially when you're feeling lonely you're feeling isolated that temptation feels like it's very real and obvious and a thing that could happen did that worry you or occur to you as she was going in yes I don't think she ever cheated on me before she went to jail but she did cheat on most of her partners before me and so that was in my head of course she had told me in the beginning of her sentence that oh people have people have given me like side looks and I've just said nah that's not the way it's going to go for me because they were saying to her what happens in jail stays in jail don't worry about it she said that doesn't apply to me that's what she was telling me I can't trust a word this person says so whether or not that's true I don't know but of course yeah it was definitely a concern of mine a part of me wanted to believe and did believe that it wasn't going to happen and that it didn't happen it's just coming to terms with the fact that it actually did. Yeah, it's a really crazy kind of experience to go through. And I think one of the common threads of people who stay with people who've been incarcerated is a belief in forgiveness or a belief that people um, are not necessarily inherently good, but are inherently human and make mistakes. Has this experience changed the way you feel in that regard or feel about people who commit crime or that sort of thing? Yeah, definitely. She's um, a gambling addict. That's why she was stealing um, to fund that addiction. And like I've grown up with addiction in my family, so I had an understanding of it, but not this close, not this damaging to myself. So I have always been very forgiving when it comes to addiction. But there was always that it's an explanation, but it's not an excuse. Um, 
But now, I I mean, I do want to get to a point where I can forgive her for myself. And I hope that one day she gets to a point where she can make amends to me genuinely. But at the moment, I'm not there yet at all. Yeah. If you were to kind of, I guess, really sum it up, like what does prison um, and incarceration do to a relationship? The isolation is a big Thing, especially in COVID because I couldn't see her at all last year when she was there. So the isolation is a huge thing. Not being able to see that person is massive. I mean, I know there's plenty of relationships that have with, withstood prison and incarceration. Personally, mine obviously didn't. So I might have a different perspective than another person, but it completely destroyed our relationship. And I mean, it wasn't just the situation. It was her choices as well. So I'm not going to put it all on, on the system. I think the system is problematic anyway, but I could get into she didn't need to be locked up. She could have gone to rehab. She could have done this, like this, you know, they're just throwing people in there. And she's told me if, if I didn't go to jail, we'd still be together. So that's a shame, but like, what are you going to do? I can't go back and change it. Yeah. It's not good for a relationship. No. Obviously in these situations, there's a lot of pain, but there's also a lot of frustration and anger. Yes, we've heard a bit about it from people on the inside looking out, feeling envious and frustrated by their partner's freedom, potentially even trying to control their movements. But you can feel the same if you're the partner on the outside. And Brody is a prime example of that, feeling bitter and angry about what your partner has done and what that's putting you through. So how do you manage that? Elizabeth says it's really hard to deal with each moment of being blindsided, whether it's by the original crime that landed them in jail, or in the case of Brody, her ex's infidelity. And sometimes you need to step back and take a look at the bigger picture. Sometimes stepping back and rather than say, well, maybe I've got a struggle because I can't hack it that they're in jail or I'm not loyal enough or not loving enough. Sometimes to say, Look, if the person wasn't in jail and I know everything that I know now about how they are, how I am, what's happened since, how we are with each other, there could be reasons to break up anyway. And so I think sometimes people have to cut themselves a bit of slack that um, it's just it's very easy to measure yourself just by the loyalty or the lack of loyalty. Uh, And I think some of these breakups have happened for other quite significant disappointing reasons and really not to do with the incarceration at all. It's understandably frustrating. The prison system makes it difficult for everyone involved, prisoners and the people who love them. And it is by design after all. But are there any ways that things can be made easier for partners and families? Well, it's a really tricky one to tackle. Because as Rami says, there are so many barriers that the system has in place to intentionally create disconnection. By necessity, you know, visits are time limited and so are phone calls and that can be a real barrier to that sort of intimate communication. I suppose another aspect that sometimes occurs is that if there's bad behaviour in prison or drug use or things like that, that there's sometimes visits and phone calls are used as punishments. So not only do they punish the person inside, that can also be a punishment for the partner on the outside who then may miss a visit or miss a phone call. It's really difficult because I suppose, you know, a a devil's advocate, you'd argue, well, yeah, it's supposed to be punishment and that separation and that disconnection is part of the process. But yeah, it hurts everybody who's connected to that person as well. 
Yeah, I don't think there's an easy answer, unfortunately, because I think both are true. It's both and. Yes, the system is created, so it needs to isolate people who've broken the law, and the impact on families and partners is significant. Whatever way you slice this, no matter where you fall, it's really clear that partners of incarcerated folks feel like they're doing the time too. Thanks for listening. And I hope that if this is something you're going through, that this episode made you feel less alone. And if you need to speak to someone, we're posting some resources in our show notes. So you can go look over there. As always, if you have a question, love or sex dilemma, I would love to hear from you. We want to help. Hit us on Instagram at Triple J The Hookup or email The Hookup no at abc.net. Catch you next time.